listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files podcast coming to you from the high desert of the Snake River Plain of Idaho Falls, Idaho, in the USA. It's the Fret Files podcast. My name's Eric Daw. I'm a longtime guitar builder and repairman. And uh, I have no co-host today. We're doing a solo show. It's just me and you. Just me and you. How you doing? <laughs> Uh, we're going to read some questions from uh, listeners and answer them. I don't think I've got any calls to play today. It's been light on calls lately. You ought to call in. Call the show, 757-774-8482. Leave a uh, question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. And, uh, or you can, you know, if you don't want to hear your own voice, you can you can email the show by going to my website, ericdaw.com. Click the contact link and, uh, you know, yeah, you know the rest. Well, my kids are back in school, which means uh, I, I'm able to spend a little more time in my shop now. So I have a ton. I have a huge backlog of repairs I'm trying to work through. So if I've got one of your guitars or one of your pickups being rewound, I promise I will get to it soon. If you've got some work that needs to be done, contact me. We'll work something out. I'm in the process of making some more custom guitars. I think there's going to be an offset in the f- in the future, if you know what I mean. I'm going to make a uh, an offset style JM style uh, guitar and offer it up for sale. I don't know. I've got the itch. I don't know. You know, you never know what. I- there's going to be some surprises. Let's just say that. If you're not on my email list, you should get on the email list so you can be apprised of new available guitars that I've made. But my hope is to make I got to make two or three guitars a month. That's my that's my goal for 2024 cuz I really fell short of my goals here for 2023. I am not on track at all whatsoever. <laughs> so, more guitars are coming soon. I'm going to be making them. Oh yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it, guys. I'm like on fire to make guitars. It's it's uh it's exciting. Anyhow, uh, I do have a bunch of questions to read, but uh, first let's do uh, a little bit of guitar news. Guitar news. There's some crazy news going on in the guitar world. How about this? The world's most expensive guitar string. You ready for this? At an auction. This blew me away. At an auction, they they are going to be selling a guitar string. Now, it is a string that Paul McCartney used to record the Beatles' Rubber Soul, and it's 
got a, a uh, an estimated auction sale price of $5,000. <laughs> oh, this is from guitarworld.com. You know, the vintage guitar market is one thing, but uh, the vintage string market? I don't know. This is madness. It's not really, you know, it's really memorabilia more than more than gear. I mean, nobody's going to use this string, right? I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it. It looks like it's broken anyhow. I don't know. Paul McCartney is a bass player, so I don't understand. It says it's an acoustic guitar string. Let's let's see. An Epiphone acoustic guitar string used by Paul McCartney during the uh, Rubber Soul sessions has gone up for auction and is it's it's expected to reach more than $5,000. It's being auctioned by Special Auction Services in Newbury, England. Uh, and it's, you know, historically significant, right? I mean, if you are a Beatles fan or a memorabilia collector and you have $5,000 to, I don't know, I was going to say waste, but spend on this uh, expensive string, it's uh, it's up for sale. Uh, well, we can assume that it was used on, it says... Uh, the song Michelle, on which Paul McCartney laid down his tracks using an Epiphone Texan acoustic. Now, there's no details. This blows my mind. There's no details as to the string's gauge. <laughs> is that so hard? Put a micrometer on it. Figure out what it is. There should be There should be more details on it. I'm looking at it. It looks like a flat-wound bass string to me. It's just a grainy picture of a discarded guitar string. So it's hard to tell. I don't know what it is. There's no uh, details about the string's gauge or manufacture. They said it's an Epiphone string, but I think they're just saying that because it came from an Epiphone guitar. And these are not particularly uh, savvy gear people that we're talking about here, apparently. The string belonged to David Carty, a member of the Beatles fan club who won it in a competition in 1966. He received a letter uh, announcing that he'd won some kind of a, some kind of a contest, and uh, there was a tantalizing promise in the letter. I quote: "I will be sending you a piece of Beatle equipment within the next few days." Unquote. Now imagine his excitement. Right? He's anticipating, like, whoa, a beetle, beetle equipment? I mean, could it be a guitar or a harmonica or a capo or something? No. It was a string. He got a string in the mail in 1966. Uh, but uh, he wasn't bothered. He was excited, it says. And he's held on to it for 45 years. And now it's up for auction. So you could own a string reportedly used by Paul McCartney. I don't know. It could it could go for a lot. A guitar pick signed by uh, Kurt Cobain sold at auction for 14 grand in July. 14 grand for a guitar pick signed by uh, Kurt Cobain. That's wild, man. That is wild. Anyhow, what else is new? Uh, there's been a theft in Utah, which is pretty close to me. You know, Idaho neighbors utah it's the neighboring state here in the usa uh, a shop in utah has asked for a thief to return its prized guitar after it was stolen in a smash and grab legacy tattoo in the city of ogden utah was the victim of a crime monday morning september 11th 
there's a guitar that sits in the front of their tattoo shop. It's not a guitar shop. It's a tattoo shop. Somebody smashed the window and stole the guitar. It was a custom Jackson that was gifted to them during a tattoo expo after they won Best in Show. So it's kind of a sentimental thing. Uh, This tattoo shop lost their... It was kind of a trophy, you know? It appears to be a JS series Jackson Dinky in a custom white and earth tone finish. And it looks like... I'm looking at a picture of it. It says Best of Show 2022 on it. So if you see it, if you see a Jackson guitar that says Best of Show, it's stolen. Contact Legacy Tattoo in Ogden, Utah. Uh, they actually captured the uh, thief on camera. And uh, it's, of course, as as surveillance video always is, it's a bit too grainy to really even see, you know, much. But they shattered the front window, ruined some art pieces, and uh, took the trophy guitar out of the window. So they have footage, but they're working on making it clearer, they say. They're offering a reward for, a reward for any information, as well as the safe return of the guitar. So be on the lookout for that. Could be anywhere. You never know. Well, here's something I found interesting in uh, the sense that it's an exercise in futility, and it's also, uh, I don't know, it's a bit silly to say that anyone's the best guitar player. And when it comes to art, like painting or music or anything like that, people always say, who's the best of all time? Who's the best guitar player of all time? Who's the best painter of all time? It's silly to try to say that because there's no such thing as best in art because things are so, uh, you know, it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? And it's, everybody's got different tastes and there's no such thing as best. There's only different, right? But it doesn't stop people from trying. This is a, a list compiled, and it's it's on a website called singersroom.com. And the fellow who wrote the article, let me get his name because I don't want to read it without giving credit, but this is by Samuel Moore. And uh, I don't know, it's it's hard. Can you imagine trying to write a list of the the best guitar players ever? It's an interesting list. Uh, there's certainly very, very good guitar players on here, but it's kind of glaring in some of its absences. Anyhow, he's got, at number 15, Sister Rosetta Tharp, a guitar virtuoso who blended jazz, blues, and gospel and had energy-filled stage presence. I mean, if you've never seen a video of Sister Rosetta Tharp, check her out. There's amazing footage of her playing a triple pickup uh, SG on YouTube, dancing around. Oh, it's cool. She's very cool. At number 14, Elizabeth Cotton. She was a finger style, uh, you know, finger picking genius. She was a very good guitar player, alternate, alternating bass patterns and syncopated melodies. Uh, she taught herself to play on a five string homemade guitar, she says. She's so well known that her signature style became known as cotton picking, <laughs> which is, uh, that's wild. Anyhow, at number 13, we've got Robert Johnson, widely acclaimed as one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Blues uh, virtuoso. His unique style was full of intricate finger-picking and soulful vo- vocals. Uh, he was such a big influence on on all the uh, 60s rock 
guitar players. But, you know, it's interesting how what a mystery his whole life is. I've got a few books about his life, and I don't know, not much. They've tried to fill in a lot of gaps, but not much is really known about him, honestly. At number, where are we? Number 12, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he belongs on the list. Uh, a skilled rock musician, guitarist. He's also acknowledged for his remarkable songwriting and production contributions. Sure. I mean, who doesn't love Led Zeppelin, right? Number 11, Keith Richards. Now, honestly, he wouldn't have made my list, but I, I recognize, you know, he's got a unique style. He plays, uh, I don't know, does he play five strings and kind of a weird tuning? Certainly very influential. I mean, we've got we've to admit, he's very uh, recognizable, his riffs and solos. I mean, you hear a little bit of uh, the Rolling Stones and you immediately recognize, recognize his sound. All righty. At number 10, we've got Jimi Hendrix. Certainly belongs in the top 10. I'd put him higher up on the list if it were my list. The guy was absolutely a, a, a groundbreaking guitar player. He pushed boundaries like never before. His use of feedback and distortion it revolutionized the guitar playing world, for sure. He's an exceptional songwriter, too, in my opinion. I mean, he blended uh, genres and came up with his own sound, his own unmistakable, uh, you know, trademark sound. Many musicians who came after him were heavily influenced by him. So certainly he belongs on the list. At number nine, we've got Freddie King. I don't know if he would have made my list just because I... Now, you know, he's a huge influence on so many blues players. And uh, he was kind of a mix of blues and rock. And he's got chops. I mean, you listen to him and it's very, very influential. Very good stuff. His birth name was Frederick Christian, but he changed it to Freddie King. Who knows why? They talk about the three kings, B.B., Albert, and Freddie. And uh, coming in at number eight is B.B. No relation to Freddie. B.B. King is uh, certainly belongs on on the list. Uh, you know, such an influ influential guitar player and uh, universally recognized for sure. At number seven, Muddy Waters. Now, Muddy is certainly a great guitar player. I don't know if I'd put him in the top list of the greatest guitar players of all time. You know, very soulful stuff, awesome stuff, and I listen to a lot of Muddy Waters. I love him. I absolutely love him. His style is all his own. He plays the blues like nobody's business, but uh, I don't know. He He's a great guitar player, but I don't know if he belongs in the top ten, to be honest with you. Number six, Mississippi John Hurt. Another interesting choice. It says, uh, his finger-picking was impressive. Intricate melodies and complex rhythms. His soulful vocals uh, with his guitar created an enchanting experience. There you go, Mississippi John Hurt. Great guitar player. Not particularly exciting. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of it. Number five is Lead Belly. I love Lead Belly. He wouldn't be on my list, honestly. Number four, Chuck Berry. Sure, I think Chuck belongs on the list. Uh, he was so influential. He had a style all his own. John Lennon is famous for saying, if they hadn't called it rock and roll, they could have called it Chuck Berry. You know, 
that's that's true. Number three, T-Bone Walker, another unbelievably influential guitar player. Uh, he played blues and jazz. He was absolutely uh, well. He's he's credited with kind of being the first guy who did, you know, single note style like what we call guitar solos now. There was a time when that wasn't a thing, and he kind of pioneered that, or he's credited with it. it <clears throat> it's that's never how the story goes, though. There's always some unknown, some unknown players that influenced these guys, right? I don't know. At number two, we've got. Django Reinhardt, certainly one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Uh, talented, creative, and uh, energetic. He blended traditional jazz with his Romani heritage. You know, they talk about gypsy jazz. And uh, it's fun to listen to. If you've never listened to Django Reinhardt, check it out. And number one on the list, we've got Merle Travis. That's what it says. I mean, this isn't my list. This is not uh, what I would have done, but, you know, certainly he's a very influential guitar player. Remarkable skills. Uh, he invented finger-picking, a finger-picking style that they call Travis-picking, right? He's inspired musicians of all genres uh, to add depth and complexity to solos. So that's it. That's the list. I don't know. It's interesting to me the omissions. <laughs> I mean, you know, where is uh, Edward Van Halen? Where is Stevie Ray Vaughan on the list of greatest guitar players of all time? Or where is uh, Danny Gatton? I mean, he'd be he'd be in my top 10 list for sure. I should come up with a top 10 list. But like I said, it's it's kind of futile to try to say somebody's the best when it comes to art, because that's really not what art is about. In my opinion. Anyhow, let's take a break and we'll come back with some questions. After these messages, we'll be right back. Let me tell you about this. It's called Pickup Music. Pickup Music, it's an online guitar learning platform. So it's like online lessons, right? Pickup Music provides a structured learning experience for modern styles. The platform and the learning pathways are designed specifically for intermediate and advanced guitarists. Over 40,000 guitarists have used the platform to improve their skills and reach their musical goals. Check it out, man. They got over a thousand lessons online for all different skill levels and all different styles, you know, modern to classic rock to funk, jazz, guitar, blues, country rock, whatever you want to play, man. They've got it all. A thousand plus lessons. Get access to these step-by-step lessons from the world's best guitar teachers to up your guitar game with a pickup music membership starting at $14.99 a month. That is so cheap. You know, just one lesson is 50 bucks. This is access to thousands of lessons for $15 a month, and you can try it free. With full access for 14 days, you cancel any time. Every week, they publish new guitar lessons, so you'll never get tired of their content. But this month, September 2023, they're rolling out an exciting guitar giveaway. So if you sign up between September 1st and September 30th, you, uh, if you sign up for a 14-day free trial, you stand a chance to win a beautiful Ibanez guitar. The best part is no purchase is even required to enter. You can sign up for the free trial and cancel if you want. This special offer is exclusively for new members and is available to U.S. residents only. And, of course, terms and conditions apply. You can check the website for details. Check them out at pickupmusic.com. 
This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. At Apex, they believe coffee's quality and uniqueness starts and ends well before it reaches their facility. That is why they meticulously source all of their coffees from around the globe to find the highest possible quality. They work with importers and farmers to guarantee fair purchasing costs throughout the entire supply chain. Apex Coffee knows that it is the diligent craftsmanship and artistry of producers all over the world who make great coffee a reality. Roasting the coffee is a necessity to unlock all the aromas and flavors we all enjoy in our coffee cups. Exactly how a coffee is roasted is the greatest influence on how it will ultimately taste. The goal at Apex Coffee is simply to reveal the coffee's natural flavors and showcase all the producer's hard work. Let me tell you, they're experts at that. You'll taste it in every cup, and you'll be amazed at how affordable it is. Check them out at apexcoffeeroasters.com and use my promo code PINUP at checkout. That's P-I-N-U-P to get 10% off your purchase. They even have monthly subscriptions available so that you will never run out of the best coffee you can buy. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And tell them that Eric at the Fret Files podcast sent you. Get ready for the taste of Apex Coffee. You know playersgearmusic.com is the go-to place for neck heating irons or neck presses. We've been telling you about that for a long time, but you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to playersgearmusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, Distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals, and sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. you got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one, and it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. It's true. We get stacks and stacks of letters, and uh, I will read some now. Hello, Eric. Love the podcast. When it comes to tremolo springs on Stratocasters, why do some people put the outer springs at an angle? Doesn't this negate the effect of the middle spring, which is straight and under less tension? I'm interested in why some people choose different configurations. Also, what about tilting the claw so there's more tension on the base side? Is that a good idea? Inquiring minds need to know. Love the podcast from NAH Guitars. Well, I don't know. I tell you what, uh, when I was a kid and I saw, I used to see pictures of Hendrix, you know, or footage of Hendrix playing, and you'd sometimes you'd see the back of his guitar because he'd play with his teeth or something, or he'd play, you know, behind his his neck or something. So uh, you saw the back of his guitar a lot. He always had the tremolo cavity cover off, and he usually had those outer springs uh at an angle and the middle spring straight so i i don't know to me when i <laughs> uh anytime i set up a strat uh i mean it was good enough for hendrix that's just the way i've i did it if you put all five springs in there there's no way other to do it than to have them all straight so uh anything less than five springs you can do different things four springs i would leave a gap in the middle and then have 
two springs together on the outer ends. Three springs is pretty common when you're st- setting up the tremolo on a Strat. And I don't think that it pulls unevenly or that it negates the tension of the middle spring. I think the springs are all working together. And uh, certainly it's... I I don't know. It's, it's not really... Uh, a consideration to me to have the claw tilted to pull more on the base side. That's not something I ever do. I want even spring tension and uh, I don't know, I just adjust them so that either they're floating, which some people like, and that's how they were designed to be. They're supposed to float off the body. The tremolo, the Strat tremolo bridge is supposed to float just at a slight angle that's how they're designed to be, but a lot of players, I've found, prefer them to be flush against the body. And uh, I've always tilted the outer springs and left the middle spring straight. That's just the way I've always done it. I don't know. It just looks right to me. And I, But I don't think that it it's causes any problems or uh, is uneven in any way. The, the springs really work together, so... I wouldn't. I think you're thinking too much, and you're giving me a headache. So just calm down there, buddy. Next question. Hello, Eric. First time, long time. Oh. I recently picked up a 1970s Penco 12 string acoustic with the bridge pulling off and a pretty good belly in the top. I don't think putting the bridge back on will be a problem for me, but I was wondering how bad a belly has to be for you to consider it problematic. I think the bridge may have started peeling because of the belly, but I'm not sure. Do you have a formula of some sort to decide if it needs attention? The belly reduced a lot when I lowered the tension of the strings. Do you have any non-invasive ways to keep it from coming back? This is my first 12 string. Is there anything special I should be doing to keep it healthy once it's fixed? Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. That's from Stephen in St. Louis. Well, Stephen, I'll tell you... 12-string guitars are always problematic because they're under so much tension, so I would use light strings. Uh, They even make, like, uh, you can get the strings that have kind of a a silk core. I can't remember what those are called. Silk and steel? Put some silk and steel on there. Something that doesn't have much tension. That's what I would do because it's so common to see a 12-string with a lifting bridge, with excessive belly, with neck angle problems, because they're just under so much tension. When it comes to your guitar here, uh, there's a few things you could do to uh, negate this. The first thing I would do is check all the braces, make sure that all the braces are tight. It's really common on a guitar where the bridge has come off and it has excessive belly. It's really common for there to be loose braces. So that's the first thing I would check, especially like those, what they call the finger braces that are coming off of the X brace. Uh, the, uh, The other thing I would check is the bridge plate. Make sure that it's secure. Um, the other thing that I would do, I have what's called a Thompson uh, belly reducer. It's a tool designed by TJ Thompson. And it's two calls that are aligned with magnets. They're aluminum. You heat them up, 
and then you clamp them in place with the bridge off. And I think you said you've got the bridge off. Is that right? The bridge came off. Yeah. Uh, the TJ Thompson belly reducer, you heat up these little metal plates and then clamp them into place. And it kind of torques the top back into a reasonable, you know, you want a little bit of belly. They call them flat top guitars, but a little bit of belly is uh, is good. But excessive belly is not. So is there a formula? No, I wouldn't say that there's a formula. Maybe there is technically speaking for some people, but I know by looking. I know by looking if the bridge is tilted you know, forward so much, uh, it has excessive belly. The other things uh, that you can do get a little more invasive. They make something called a uh, bridge doctor. And a bridge doctor installs uh, onto the uh, onto the bridge and goes through the guitar and has a dowel that pushes against the end block and it torques the whole top back into position. I wouldn't put that on a nice guitar. Personally, it's a bit invasive. I don't know. What brand did you say this 12-string is? Uh, 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 a 70s Penco 12-string acoustic. That, I think, might be a candidate for a bridge doctor, if you wanted to. It's a little bit invasive in that you have to drill a hole through the bridge to mount the thing. But then, you've got it basically kind of gives you a truss rod for the top. There's an adjustable uh, Allen key and Allen wrench screw that pushes on a dowel that you cut to a cer certain length, and then the dowel pushes against the end block and torques the top back a little bit flat. They claim, the, the uh, JD uh, Systems Bridge Doctor, the manufacturer of the Bridge Doctor, they claim that it will really improve the sound of your guitar, too. I am not sure about that. I've installed them before, and to be honest with you, to me, it sounds like they deaden the sound a little bit. I mean, I don't know how it, I don't know how it could do anything else. It's inhibiting the top from vibrating, right? In my mind. But what do I know? I'm just a simple... Uh, Simple Guitar Doctor. Thanks for the question, Stephen. On to the next. This is from Jafeth in Singapore. Hello, Eric. Absolutely loving your podcast, and I can't wait for your book to arrive. Ah, oh, thanks for ordering my book. I appreciate it. Very good. I love shipping books internationally. It makes me happy. It just does. Absolutely loving the podcast. I can't wait for your book to arrive. First, being a coffee lover myself, I'm curious to know, what is your favorite coffee origin, and how do you brew your coffee every day? Well, we've certainly talked a lot about coffee on the show for a guitar podcast, but we have a sponsor, you know, we have a coffee manufacturer as a sponsor, so... Uh, I don't know if I would say that I have a favorite origin... Uh, lately, like what I'm drinking this morning here is Apex Oversteer, Apex Coffee Roasters in Waco, Texas. That's that's what I drink. Man, it's good coffee. Wow. The origin of Oversteer is Honduras and Colombia. 
I get whole bean coffee and grind it myself, and I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, God, it smells good. I'm sitting here holding it. Man, that's one of my favorite smells in the world is fresh roasted coffee beans. My God. It smells so good. Uh, but I have a few favorite ways of preparing coffee. My go-to daily is I have vintage Farberware stainless steel percolators. <laughs> that's what I like. Now, coffee snobs, I know because I talk to them sometimes, uh, turn their nose up at that, and they think that it's really, really a bad way to prepare coffee. I love it, and I'll tell you why. They're easy, they're easy to clean, and they don't impart weird flavors to your coffee. So many coffee makers are made out of plastic parts, and that plastic, I can taste it in the coffee. I can taste what plastic does to the flavor of coffee, and the thing I like about these vintage Farberware percolators, gosh, I probably, I buy them at yard sales and thrift stores and I clean them up. And if they're broken, you can buy parts. You can order thermostats and heating elements for them. I've I've gotten good at uh, diagnosing them and repairing them, but I probably have eight of them sitting on a shelf in my storage room as backups. But that's what I use. The thing I like about them is they're all stainless steel, so they don't impart any flavor. All stainless inside the basket, the stem, the whole thing is stainless steel. There's no plastic parts. They're easy to maintain, easy to wash, and they just taste good. They're easy and they're good. I do use a filter. They make just little disc filters that you can put in the bottom of the basket. You know, traditionally with a percolator, you just uh, you you kind of do a coarse grind so that the grounds don't pass through the stainless steel basket. But I do a finer grind, and I use a filter. So that's what I do most of the time. A couple other ways that I prepare coffee. Sometimes I do a pour-over if I just want to do one cup. And that's, I mean, that's a simple, simple way. I just have a ceramic, you know, pour-over uh, it looks like a coffee mug, but it's cone-shaped and has a hole in the bottom. You put a filter in it, you put your grounds in it, you pour hot water through it, and the water just passes through the grounds into your coffee cup. A really easy way to make one cup of really good-tasting coffee. And the other way I sometimes make coffee is Nat gave me an AeroPress. A-E-R-O press. It's like a... <laughs> It's like a manual uh, analog way of making espresso. You put coffee grounds in there, you put a little filter in there, and you you um, it's like a plunger. You actually force the coffee through the grounds. It's a weird deal. Uh, but again, it's... See, Nat's not here. I can talk about it. It's made out of plastic, and, and I can taste that. People say I'm crazy, but not i can taste it i can taste the plastic so um but uh it takes a while for that flavor to develop so uh i don't know why but if you've got a brand new aeropress it's going to taste it's going to make good tasting coffee for a while but uh eventually i don't know what happens chemically there's something that happens chemically with plastic and coffee cuz i can taste it 
But that's my go-to is the vintage Farberware electric percolator. What was your other? Did you have any guitar questions? Yeah, here we go. Now on to my guitar-related question. How do you clean and maintain nitrocellulose finishes? I've tried searching online, and there are all sorts of opinions on the matter, from using just a damp cloth to different types of cleaners, detailers, polishes, and waxes. Some even swear by automotive products. Apparently Bob Taylor of Taylor Guitars uses liquid turtle wax. The number of options and often conflicting opinions are bewildering, so I figured I should turn to an expert I know I can trust. Well, that's nice. I hope to hear your thoughts on this, and thank you for sharing your guitar wisdom via your podcast for almost a decade. That's from Jafeth in Singapore. Man, it has been almost a decade. Maybe more. I don't even know. My goodness, this podcast. Anyhow, uh, you know, there's so many different polishes available. My go-to is Dunlop 65. I've found that a lot of polishes kind of turn into, they just make matters worse on old lacquer. Like Martin polish, which people swore by for years, I just, gosh, it's it makes a mess. It makes a mess. I don't know what's in it. Dunlop 65, it says cleaner, cleaner and polish. And I found that it makes a, it, it does a really good job of just polishing old lacquer. So that's my go-to, Dunlop 65. If you need something a little more aggressive, I use Meguiar's Mirror Glaze. Uh, Meguiar's Show Car Glaze, it's, a, it's automotive polish, you know. But the thing about vintage lacquer is it develops a patina, and I like that patina. So, you know, it gets kind of dull and, and uh, not milky, but I don't know, it gets kind of a dull sheen to it i would say if you've got an old guitar vintage lacquer i would say leave it alone you know clean it but i don't you don't want to get into a polish that actually cuts and polishes you know dunlop 65 is great for that it's it it's a cleaner and polish that i don't think it really it doesn't really mess with the patina much so that's my go-to Dunlop 65. Thanks for the question. Hello, fellows. I have a vintage Japanese P-Base copy, and the neck has too much forward bow in it. The truss rod's as tight as I dare to tighten it. It's really getting hard to turn. If I could just get a few more turns out of the truss rod, I think I might be able to get the neck straightened out. Any suggestions on how to safely get a few more turns out of the truss rod, or is this neck just a lost cause? Thanks, Rodney in Thomasville, Georgia. Well, thank you, Rodney. Yeah, I've got some suggestions. You know, uh, this is a common thing that I do to help a uh, guitar neck that has this problem. you got too much forward bow. The truss rod's getting tight. Here's what I would do. This happens a lot on basses, too. Here's what I would do. I would uh, take the strings off and preferably even take the neck off of the bass and clamp it. You want to put shims uh, on the outer edges of the neck, so like, under, you know, between the nut and the first fret, and then another shim way up high on the neck. Loosen the truss rod and clamp it. You could clamp it upside down to a tabletop, or you could clamp it to a board or a steel beam or something. But what you want to do 
is clamp it so that you're putting back bow in it. Clamp it and then tighten up the truss rod to that so that the uh, the clamps and whatever you're clamping it to is doing the work. And then the truss rod doesn't have to do the work, but if you tighten it up to that, then it'll hold. That's what I would do. It's a lot um, less risky than just trying to use the truss rod to tighten it up because you can snap a truss rod and then you're in a then you're in a different world of problems so that's what i would do clamp the neck to where you want it without string tension and that's going to be slight back bow and then tighten the truss rod up to that now when you put the neck back on the base and you put the strings on and you tighten the strings then it, the strings are going to pull the neck straight from your back bow, right? That's what I would do. Now, if that doesn't work, there are other things you can do. I have neck uh, neck heating iron. We've talked a lot about those on the show. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heating iron. Uh, you can heat up the neck with the truss rod loosened and putting shims in it to correct that warp and then the truss rod will have a lot easier time. Uh, That's what I would do. You probably don't have a neck heater. But uh, you could also send it to me. If you need some help with it, let me know, Rodney. But that's the first thing I would try, is just no truss rod tension, no string tension. Clamp it into a back bow, and then tighten the truss rod up to that. Give it a try. Let me know how it works out, too. All right, we got one more question. Hey, Eric, love the show. Hands down, favorite podcast. Wow, thank you. I have a telly. The skunk stripe is coming loose. I've glued it along the edge, sanded it. Two weeks later, same thing. It's just enough to cut the inside of my thumb sliding up and down the neck. Sanded it again to no avail. Any suggestions? Thank you. That's John from Dawsonville, Georgia. Well, John... I'm curious what kind of you say you uh, you say you glued it. I'm curious what kind of glue you used. A lot of times, um, new glue won't stick to old glue, so uh, you've probably got a situation where you need to clean that up before gluing it. So if you can, <clears throat> if it's loose and coming out, see if you can. See if you can lift it up just a little bit and uh, stick just a thin, thin, light sandpaper in there in the crack, right? And see if you can clean those surfaces a little bit so that you can get some glue in there. You're going to need to work glue in when you go to glue this. I would use either tight bond or hot hide glue. I don't know what you used. You know, people people reach for all kinds of things like super glue, which to me is not structural. I wouldn't use super glue. Uh, you want something that's gonna that has more shear strength, that's gonna hold, and that that will saturate the wood a little bit. So I would work tight bond in there with my thumb, running my thumb across the crack. Again and again and again and again and again, that hydraulic pressure of working the glue across that crack will actually force glue down into the crack, 
that's what I would do. So uh, use you want to clean up the surfaces and then you want to use either tight bond or hot hide glue. Hot hide glue, you don't have as much time to work with. Uh, so probably tight bond in this situation. But the thing about tight bond is once you use it, if you have glue failure, then you really need to clean up everything before you can glue it again because new tight bond glued to old tight bond just doesn't work. You've got to have fresh wood surfaces. So that's my suggestion. Do what you will with it. Let me know what you come up with, man. I'd love to hear back from you. That does it for the show. If you want to participate, and uh, I wish you would, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757 757- 774-8482 Call or text that number We'll use it on the show Thanks so much Talk to you next time